Welcome to When You Wish Upon That Movie You Like. It's time for the great new podcast where we look at classic films and pitch you the sequels you can't live without. I'm Nick. And I'm Walt Brendan. That that was a bit more imaginative than what I had. This week we're doing... Dun, 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 dun. Adaptation Week. <laughs> Adaptation Week. Adaptation Week. What is Adaptation Week? Oh, I was hoping you were going to tell me. Oh. <laughs> This week we are adapting a story into franchisable stuff. And just before you were thinking we're getting too creative, we're adapting it to a very specific theme tonight, which is classic Disney films, classic Disney animated films specifically. Yes. And yeah, that's going to be our theme. So we've both picked stories and we're going to be adapting them from another medium into a Disney classic. Indeed. I have chosen a fairy tale that so far has eluded Disney adaptation. I am going with Hansel and Gretel because it's about abandoning children in the wilderness and hoping that they die. Speaking of abandoning people and not introducing them, I've noticed we've got someone else sitting at the podcast booth today, Nick. Would you like to introduce them? Well, I wasn't going to use that segue, but sure. I would like to introduce Tracy, my beautiful wife, as our first guest on That Movie You Like, the sequel. Welcome to the sequel room. Are you ready to sell out tonight? <laughs> sure. Um, Give me your best shot. <laughs> awesome. And I think you've got like a very specific set of expertise, which is why I think we decided to include you in specifically this episode. Are you pretty into Disney movies? Yeah, you could definitely say that I'm into Disney movies. I have a very large collection of them. I quite enjoy watching them and yeah. Does that spread to the Disney sequels? <laughs> yes, it does, actually. Oh, really? Even even Beauty and the Beast 2? <laughs> there is no Beauty and the Beast There's, like, a little spin-off, but it's definitely not Beauty are and they, the Beast are, 2. Are they even on Disney Plus? Like, is uh, it, or is it still just VHS? I don't think so. I used, to, I used to work with a, a kid and Beauty and the Beast 2 is his favourite movie and I've seen it way too many times and it's, yeah, not my favourite. I love Beauty and the Beast, though. Yeah. It's gorgeous and I like the cartoon and I like the act. Live adaptation as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those. <laughs> You're not a fan of the live action version, Nick? I'll, I'll keep the, my thoughts to myself on, on that for now. Cool. There might be a good opportunity to talk about that when we talk about my episode, actually. Oh, good. <laughs> I look forward to that. Something to look forward to. So let's open it up to sequels outside of the Disneyverse. Do you have a favourite sequel, Tracy? Yeah, I probably have a, a good handful of favourite sequels, actually, and a lot of them are Disney ones. Oh, cool. If you want me to go outside of the Disneyverse, so I would actually say Shrek 2. Okay. Probably my mm. favourite. I yeah. think it's probably one of the only sequels that really holds up on its own. Yeah. Right. And adjacent to the Disney, uh, almost a, yeah, well, like a slight Shrek, parody. Shrek, like, Shrek yeah. is like the anti-Disney, really, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah. yeah, no, that's... Yeah. yeah, but f- feeling really unfaithful to Disney at the moment, I also need to point out there's Toy Story 2, okay, uh, yeah. Finding Dory from Finding Nemo, which is awesome, the Santa Claus 2, which I quite enjoy as well, and then all the Star Wars movies, and, mm-hmm. you know, keep going and going and going. Yeah. 
Awesome. I think I'm having a conversation with Brendan while looking at me. I know it's it's hard work. Right? Isn't I it? understand that. Maybe yeah. if I just put like a, a, a mirror up on my face so it looks. Oh yeah, so I'm looking directly. At yeah. Okay, I'm going to be rude, Brendan, and not look directly. It, at you. It's totally fine. Yeah. So yeah, really great choices on Disney sequels. I I don't know. I don't. I'm thinking back to Disney sequels, and as much as we're sequel boys. I'm not thinking of a lot of them that I really enjoyed. Incredibles 2? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I remember Return of Jafar as a kid. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I didn't hate it. I loved that as a kid. Yeah, like it, it was one of those ones that just existed in like the blockbuster movie section. It was always there. Yeah. Probably a good reason for that. A lot of those are straight to... This is going to age us quite a lot, but those straight to video Disney sequels yes. really... I, I think I like some of them. Like Return of Jafar stands out to me as being one of the bigger ones as yeah. well. Um, I remember Lion King 2 as well being a yeah. bit of a big deal. And yeah. I mean, they, they did try with I like, that, I think. I mean, they did, yeah. a, what was it, Romeo and Juliet after doing Hamlet, which uh, was the original. So I like the Timon and Pumbaa one that they did. Yeah, Lion oh, yeah. King 3 was so yeah. much better. That, that was, <laughs> like, was it one and a half or something? I can't remember what they called it. Yeah. That was... Hilarious. It was like from their point of view, though, the first movie. I, 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 I quite like that one. Yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, we should have done that for the Eat, Pray, Love approach. Yes. <laughs> so I guess our goal is going to be to adapt something that feels like a Disney animated film. And I think part of what we probably need to decide if, if we're going to present this to our audience in, in a way that is fair is, is what does that mean to you guys? Like when you think about an animated Disney film, w- what is that? Like, because there's quite a lot of different things. There's a lot of crossover. I've written this with the idea in mind of I would love to see it animated in like the old two-dimensional way. Yeah. Um, maybe not not necessarily go full old style like they did with Princess and the Frog, but using that deep canvas technology they used for Tarzan, where he's literally skating through the trees and all the foliage and everything flies past it. It was a really cool effect. Uh, and I know that's CG, but it was still a two-dimensional look to it so does that speak to a certain generation of disney film that you like then probably yeah i think yeah because i mean i I definitely grew up in that disney renaissance of aladdin and the lion king and beauty and the beast it started to waver a little bit around hunchback and notre dame where that has an interesting depth to it but also a very inconsistent tone and yeah they've now had to follow the pixar model and make everything cg now so i i'm a bit saddened by that to be honest but yeah i think animators would also adore an opportunity to properly animate again as opposed to the cgi stuff to actually do it there are there are so many times in this script where i just describe that the the animators have drawn something amazing and that's the benefit of just doing a podcast i don't have to do anything (laughs) it's all in your brain (laughs) so Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with both of you guys. That I miss that traditional style of animation a little bit. And I feel like it's it's going to make a bit of a comeback. Even if we think about things like Into the Spider-Verse, it is, even though that's CGI, it is moving back to that more 2D vibe or that more stylized vibe. I, I think the artists are also starting to break through a little bit. Like yeah. You can feel it almost bursting out of them. I, I've watched a fair bit of Corridor Crew and animators react. One of the animators who worked on Frozen shows how when Olaf is running from one side to another for a few frames, he actually adds a few extra limbs just to give that two-dimensional blurry effect. It's very subliminal single frames of, of the animation where he's got five arms or something to make it look much more. Definitely seeing that in yeah. those, I don't know, like on Disney Plus, those Disney shorts, a lot of those seem to have a very specific artistic style versus yeah. that more general, like Moana looks a bit like Frozen, looks a bit like... Yeah, Big Hero 6. Like, they, they all have their own thing, but they all also feel quite similar, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a certain... It, it is interesting because, again, there's a 
there's definitely a far more diverse palette as far as what they're doing with with stories now than certainly the old canon of you know Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Snow White, all of those very European centric stories. And here I am doing a very European story. It's good to see them making those stories but it would be really nice to see them do some traditional hand-drawn stuff i think definitely agree and that's the space that i thought about for mine when we get to it as well that more traditional disney renaissance look of film when you think of disney film tracy what pops into your head i suppose fantasy in a way that like the main character overcomes adversary to make their life better a bit of magic thrown in definitely just happy ending and fairy dust (laughs) yeah sometimes a cute animal psychic oh an adorable animal psychic that everyone wants the plushie for or the t-shirt or you're gonna love the one for this (laughs) oh that's something i might be marked down on do i have time to rewrite some of mine (laughs) you got an entire week yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I need my animal plushie (laughs) yeah yeah there is something i think we could use in mind i'll point it out when we get to it yeah for me I'm not the biggest fan. So I I certainly have nostalgia for that Disney Renaissance period and things like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and and all of those things. They're probably not my favourites, though, Mm. when I start looking back at Disney. Certainly I enjoyed them and I have the nostalgia for them, but there wouldn't be ones that I'd probably go back and rewatch. The Disney movies that stand out to me, and this this might point you in the direction of where I've gone with mine as well, Mm -hmm. Goofy Movie, one of of my absolute favourites. I like that it's slice of lifey and it's suburban and it's like yeah. I, that's that it really appeals to me would, um, would you have been a big fan of the goof troop television series yeah i think so but not as much as the movie i think the movie specifically i think because mm-hmm. he skewed a little older and it was it had some of those father-son teen movie vibes that he was a bit younger in, in Goof it's, Troop. it's very interesting to look at that the structure of that film as well because goofy is actually the antagonist yeah, depending how you look at it. I think yeah. as a kid, he's in the antagonist. As If you watch it today as a father, maybe it reads a little bit oh, differently. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like he, he's, he's a very sympathetic character, and, but structurally speaking from the story perspective, he, he's antagonist all the way through, and he's, he's probably got the most relatable reason for, for being like that. Yes, um, yeah, I guess so, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So out of, out of all antagonists, yeah. like every, all of them, like all the good ones at least, they always have this like morsel of, you know, you can relate to, to why Definitely. they're doing it. Yeah. But yeah, no, Goofy obviously is a, a very, you know, beloved character. And I was a big fan of those Disney shorts that they repackaged on VHS, so like the classic ones of Mickey and Donald and stuff. Oh, yes, um, yeah. As a, as a kid, so I've always loved Goofy. There was those how-to guide Goofy movie shorts. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're absolutely hilarious. Are, are these ones out of like the 40s? And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that generation. And they're like, Goofy teaches you how to do sports. And, like, <laughs> and, and they're, they're all on Disney+. Plus. Well worth watching. Some other favorites from that generation, like Mickey and the Seal, Mickey Donald and Goofy as Ghostbusters. Like there's some some mm. real cool stuff. And so, so it I, sounds like you're more of a Fab Four fan. I, I think so, yeah. Mm. And so I think that's part, also partially probably why I was drawn to Goofy movie because mm. we don't see those characters very often these days in not in movies anyway that's pretty unusual uh, I think DuckTales obviously yes. has had its return yeah and it actually had Goofy in an, in an episode also, yeah but um, that's definitely more about Huey Dewey Louie yeah yeah and, and definitely a TV show so it's like versus that bigger budget bigger yeah. stories yeah. Um, well, hopefully that Chip and Dale rescue rangers will morph yes. into something <laughs> yeah and explore some more of that so, yeah yeah some of the other ones that I I quite like some of the older ones so Pinocchio oh, yeah. was another one that I liked growing up yeah and Grandad had that on Betamax yeah like that's that's how old I am <laughs> I, I love the naughty kids aspect of it and all of those kinds of things I always just related to growing up i think 
probably you see like a, a theme with Max being a bit like of a kid that was getting into some trouble, and yeah. these kids of Pinocchio getting into trouble. That really appealed to me as as a mm-hmm. as a young you viewer. A troublemaker, Brendan. No, I would, well, ask my parents. <laughs> 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 Potentially, sometimes. And then I guess some of the other ones that I feel like don't get a lot of love. Oh, Lilo and Stitch, another oh, yeah. one of my absolute favorites. My absolute favorite as well. I yeah. love Stitch. He's yeah. my He's my spirit animal. And quite, <laughs> quite different. <laughs> quite different to what I think often think about with a Disney movie, but still feels like a Disney movie. Like it's in that real sweet spot. Mm. Um, I have a gorgeous friend who's really big on Disney, like has been to Disneyland many, many times, really big on the Fab Four, has never seen Lilo and Stitch. I almost had a heart attack. Oh, wow. Like, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah, it's such a good movie. They've not seen Lilo and Stitch. No. I feel like it's slid <laughs> under need something. We need to intervene in that Yeah, I, I have a plot one day to pin her down and make her watch it. <laughs> Clockwork Orange style. Got it. I think it slid under a lot of people's radar, though, actually, mm. because it was in that – like, it was post-Shrek, right? So it was in yeah. that – last generation of traditionally drawn the last films. good ones as well yeah i think treasure planet killed it oh, because don't be so hard. not that it's a bad film <laughs> i've never seen it but that's my point yeah like, i think you know, a lot of people it, it was it flew under the radar and i think there was a like a barnyard thing or something and it was just and it looked like tv animation i think they knew the studio was going to be closed down in the wake of like all the toy stories and yeah pixar success so yeah Rounding out, I guess, my favourites, you mentioned Hunchback of Notre Dame. I actually really like Hunchback of Notre Dame. I didn't as a kid. I didn't have any interest in it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Something I've actually come to like more recently. Yeah. I like that it feels like Disney doing horror a little bit. Like, there are aspects of that in that movie. You've got the talking gargoyles. Yeah. You've got the pretty scary villain in comparison to oh, most yeah. Disney movies. I, mean, like, I never understood his motivation as a kid. And now I do, and I was like... Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty dark in a lot of ways. And that's I love that they took that dark story and presented it in a way that's mostly okay for kids, I think. Uh, so it's big, oh, it's go. Some, there's something pretty awesome, too, about the bad guy getting what's coming yes. to him, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, for him, for example, or Gaston when he falls off the building at the end. And Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's his name from Tarzan when he falls out of the tree and yeah and he, Clayton that's right it's nice to see that vindictive yes it's, it's all these kids in the audience going yes <laughs> the, the other one I really like that, and I might get cancelled for this one, <laughs> is is Pocahontas. Oh, yeah. um, so I I think as a movie, Pocahontas is really great as an adaptation of a real story that maybe not so much, Ugh. but but in yeah. and of itself, I think it's a nice. Film, if you can divorce it from some of those real world events and and how different a lot of that played out in real life, yeah, that it, that's a dicey one, isn't yeah, it? Is, yeah, it is, it is, and and I'll happily admit that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's but, be honest, too, a lot of early Disney is kind of dicey before I, yeah. before movies and cartoons. Yeah, back I mean, there's there's always like bad faith readings of like Lion King and and you know monarchy and all these other things that come up with question marks hovering around Definitely. these days when you stop to think about it for more than 30 seconds. But but that's another good thing about Disney is that they've learnt and they've adapted yes. and they're just getting better and better, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think especially when we look at things like diversity and, and just even more diverse stories, like things like Moana, Definitely. wouldn't have happened that long probably in the 70s and 80s for sure mm. maybe even in the 90s and if it happened in the 90s it would be more Pocahontas right where yeah. it was very much a white person's take on it. And, and well, I think mm. you could still maybe point in some directions with that with Moana. Moana felt like a movie that was at least trying to be true to Polynesian people. It yeah. seemed like it had Polynesian people involved with it, and yeah. and that's a huge improvement. <laughs> I still think they're doing the thing, though, where they're compiling everything into one thing. Like, they're taking all the Polynesian islands and sure. all the cultures and mixing yeah. them all together, same as they did for Milan with Asia yes. in general. Yeah, and I guess it's okay. 
okay is maybe not the right word but i guess it works because it's set in the past so it isn't one specific at least this is my reading it isn't Mm. one specific place it's and it talks about how they're travelers and things like that so we've got to assume that they went and became lots of places but for sure um, and yeah definitely not to like rubbish the idea of the representation is obviously a very positive thing for any little girl out there that goes oh i'm like moana mum and it's like yeah just a bit more interesting to me too like she was a much more and and i think you could say the same thing with frozen and in terms of just the female characters having more to do (laughs) more interesting also nice to have you know your female princess characters that don't wind up with a man. Yes. It's, it's not all about getting the man. It's about doing it for themselves. Yes, really awesome. good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good point. Anything else you guys want to say specifically on Disney before we jump into Nick's adaptation? Only I hope that they're listening and I hope that uh, when we sell out that they're going to be coming with the bank book. Yeah, I think the Disney money's pretty sweet. So. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, <laughs> uh, we're, we're very open to selling out here. We're, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure that they're going to come for mine. I, I, I'm not feeling super confident this I don't, week. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't worry. I, I will say that we're a package deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. I might need it. <laughs> awesome. So what do you guys think? Shall we sell out? Let's sell out. Let's do it. Sequel creation initiation. Looks like they've ordered a sequel. Three. We all sell out every day. Two. Perpetuate this cycle of money, greed, fascism, and triviality. One. Show me the money. Sequel incoming. I didn't sell out, son. I bought in. Let's start this in the classic fairy tale setting. To set a scene, this is all hand-painted, maybe a bit of deep canvas, so there's a lot of scenery to scope through it. We're going to be using paintings to, to tell the story here, so... Once upon a time, in a faraway kingdom, the royal family were expecting twins. The king's loyal subjects held the family in high regard, and although the king and queen had already produced an heir to the throne, having babies two and three in the mix was a welcome bit of good news for the kingdom's prosperity. For the royals had become royal because they and their heirs zest the Lebensfunke, or life spark, a power that they used to ensure their subjects were safe and well fed. However, for some, the promise of enough was never enough, and they sought to leech, drain, or steal the royal power for themselves. The witch known as Rosina the Hag sought to use this power to achieve immortality. Under the cover of darkness, she crept into the castle and kidnapped the royal's firstborn, Franz. A manhunt was instigated throughout the kingdom, but sadly Franz had perished at the hands of Rosina. The hag, however, had been denied her immortality status, as when her ceremony was interrupted, the power was imbued to her familiar, the raven Crawford. She vowed that she would try again, as the power that Franz possessed would manifest again in the next true heir to the throne. So the joy of the twins' birth was overshadowed by the loss of Franz, and the king and queen made the most difficult decision of their rule. The twins would go into hiding with their aunt and uncle in the furthest reaches of the kingdom, where they would learn how to defend themselves and each other to ready them for the heir's time on the throne. As an added precaution, they kept which of the two were born first a secret, never revealing which of the two bore the Liebensfunke, (laughs) or the life spark. So... That's our preamble, cold open, to yeah. explain the canon of it. Brave start, killing a baby in the... <laughs> in the oh, no, no, no. Friends was like, you know, at least six. Okay. <laughs> killing a small child. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no, make, no, no. Tarzan all over yeah, I'll make, him, I'll make him maybe... 
teenage-ish. I was starting to worry I went too dark with mine, but I, I think Nick's going to be going... Yeah. yeah. No, look, no, I, there is a darkness in these Disney movies, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's very accurate, I think. I'm just giving you a hard time. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, and, yeah, I do want to have a darkness in this. Germans, in my experience, are very forthright as well. They do not mince their words. They actually combine words to make the impact a bit more visceral sometimes. So I want that culture to bleed through a little bit. So it is a bit harsh and it is a bit dramatic, but it does galvanise you a little bit, I think. so. Yeah, and yeah. I like, I don't know, I mean, I've heard the story of Hansel and Gretel. I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in it, but I, this, this is new, the stuff with Franz? and Definitely. Like you created this? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Yes. Maybe I should have a sidebar to what the actual classic story is. Uh, no, I, I, I don't <laughs> think so, I, but I actually really like that. Like it's, I can already feel how that broadens out the story because for me, when you say Hansel and Gretel, I'm like, how do you take that beyond like a 10 minute story? So I think by adding some of this stuff, it's, I can see, okay, yeah, I'm starting to get it. Like there's, there's more world building more than just, Kids getting lost in the woods, right? Yeah. I feel like you say Hansel and Gretel and Brennan's ears perk up and he's like, naughty children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, it's literally the story is the, the the pair go playing in the forest and the stepmom just wants them to disappear. She wants them gone. She can't feed them. You know, whatever the reason, it's just like, okay, yeah, we can't deal with you. Off you go. But Hansel leaves a trail of breadcrumbs that they use to follow home, but breadcrumbs get eaten and all the... Anyway. That's that's basically the story. And then, yeah. Yeah. But so with this, I've tried to give them reason to be wandering around in a forest, right? So that's where all of that groundwork goes because I'm trying to explain why this actually loving family, which may not necessarily have been true for the culture back then. I don't think childhood was as canonized as, as it is now. But yeah, it, it's definitely a softening of the original tale a bit. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm sure you've recognised it as a Star Wars fan, the hiding away of the twins feels very... Yes, yeah, I, was, I was trying not to go for Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi. But I, I think it works for where... I'm, I'm not 100% sure where your story's going to go, but I can I can say I think this works as a setup. Like, it's really cool. So. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you. It was there. We cut to the present day in big quotes because obviously this is a long time ago and forest far, far away. Hansel and Gretel are causing havoc for their auntie Elsa and uncle Klaus, who is trying to chop down a tree for firewood. They've climbed a tree and in the thick canopy of the forest, the adults can't tell where they are. It doesn't help that the tree they're trying to fell keeps healing from each axe strike. Well, at least we know where they're hiding. So, you know, they're using their superpower. Klaus finds the pair arguing over who it is that's actually making the tree heal. He fetches them out of the tree and finally fells it. As he's chopping up the wood, the twins make the tree grow anew from the stump. Elsa and Klaus freak out of this and go into checking for witnesses mode. Klaus decides to tell them the whole story of their power. So we might get a very quick version of all that preamble that was just given. Yeah. And the twins will basically get a little bit of like, oh, you know, just a little bit of a traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because I'm assuming they thought that was their real parents, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they they were obviously taken away from their yes, family yeah. at birth. So Klaus is like, right, I'm I'm done with this. I'm going to yeah. tell them. Yeah. Like, oh no no, be gentle. No, no, no. <laughs> so your royals will be out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Get the you know get the trauma out of the way. So yeah, they're lightly traumatized by Klaus's rather straightforward telling of the story. Gretel, however, is incensed by the fact that she was robbed of a life of living inside in comfort and warmth because she or Hansel has a weird magic power. They return home to their log cabin in a small community and unstack the wood from their cart. The children also sack some wood for their kindly old neighbour who thanks them with two small bundles of gingerbread men. When they get home, Gretel has spoiled her appetite with the gingerbread while Hansel has kept some spare. 
Klaus announces it's time for them to go on another week-long survival camp to sharpen their skills. When Gretel protests and asks if she can stay with Auntie Ilsa, Ilsa alludes that she'll be travelling, though she doesn't specify where, so staying isn't an option. I'm going to insert this moment when Gretel gets her I Want song, because I'm not going to sing it, <laughs> I'm not going to write it, but her song is all about how she wants to live in comfort and warmth and luxury and all the rest because she just hates outside. She hates all the, you know, things. I'm sure Lin-Manuel Miranda just crushes it. Right? Yeah. That's my act one. So so that's all of that setup there. So I, I think it feels Disney-y. Mm-hmm. I don't, what do you think, Tracy? Yeah, definitely. You've definitely hit that vibe. Yes. Excellent. Sure. I did find as I was writing this, the closest structurally I can think of is how Rapunzel was adapted because... They give her magic hair, which in the fairy tale, she literally is just stuck in a tower and her hair just grows long. But now it's got this magic power and everything. So I, I get that I'm probably lifting from that a little bit. I think that's a Disney thing, though, to lift ideas from yeah. other things. Yeah. And, and, and embellish it. Yeah. You're lifting from that. You're, I would say you're lifting a little bit even from Frozen with the siblings and one of them having magic powers. and Maleficent, I think, with the witch. and But then that's the same as Snow White. And that's the same. Like, they're, they're all... Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's definitely archetypes and things. So as long as it can sort of go archetypical and not stereotypical, it's... Yeah, it's I, I don't feel like... Like, yes, there are things that harken to other Disney movies. It doesn't feel like you've just ripped off another Disney movie. To me. No. Um, yeah. You've just pulled some elements from all Well, this yeah. is this and is part a of a of Disney franchise after yeah. all. So. Is that, and a little bit of Veruca Salt singing I Want the World? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you can get a sense, like, they've li- lived in this nice community and stuff, but Gretel's like, no, I'm a princess. I want comfort. <laughs> so, yeah. Is she endearing at this point, or is she a oh, they're, they're, they're kids. You know, <laughs> yeah. how endearing can you... I mean, obviously, they oh. like healing trees and stuff. How old are they? Oof, that's a good question. I would put them at eight or nine, okay. I think. You know, old enough to be going out on a trek with their uncle, young enough to, you know, that to be a bad idea. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if you're going to get into it. The one thing that I'm not sure about yet is I don't have a feel for Hansel very much. Like, I, know, I think I know Gretel mm. really well, but I'm interested to see what makes Hansel. I'm assuming he's different so yeah i'm uh, excited to find out yeah well i mean this is this is very much what we're going to start getting into now cool so, awesome yeah, so <laughs> we get into act two so on the morning of survival camp's departure hansel reveals to gretel that he's collected a large quantity of small smooth stones from the river by their village so he plans to leave a trail so they can sneak back home as soon as uncle klaus goes to sleep which on survival days is as soon as the sun sets <laughs> So they head out into the very uninviting forest. Klaus is intent on going in the darkest and most spider-webbed trail. It even starts to rain and thunderstorm in that specific direction, so they're just not having a great time. And it's very much, why are we doing this? I don't want to do it. Why did you pick this particular week, you moron? Anyway, (laughs) so they're not mincing words in, like, you know, shouting at each other. I I want that dynamic between the kids and the adult. The adult's probably not a very good adult in that way like they're the big kid themselves they travel until sunset where they set up in a large hollow tree stump and a burrow so this is like a cave with a tree growing out of it and they can block up the entry and everything soon Klaus is asleep and the twins give him the slip and begin their trek home on their path they come across a tree that's collapsed from being struck by lightning and a pair of birds are mourning over the nest of broken eggs uh, the twins see this, and while their approach scares the birds away, they work and they heal the broken eggs and the tree with their magic. 
It's still unclear which one has the magic because they keep arguing over which one of them is actually doing it. But the eggs in the tree are healed and the birds return happy as you could possibly imagine as little tweaky birds can possibly be. So, you know, nice little cute moment. The whole scene, though, was witnessed by a scruffy looking twitchy raven and I'm going to make my first casting decision of the movie. This raven is played by Alan Tudyk. Okay, cool. <laughs> Very <laughs> Disney. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's another Disney <laughs> credential there. As the pair continue on their journey, the raven shadows them, and the twins return to their hut and enjoy a comfortable night's sleep with the extra pillows that they can steal from their aunt and uncle's bed. The raven <gasps> chuckles to itself. Its mission is finally done. He's found that his cackling is sh cut short by an owl swooping in and catching him in his talons. We see it start to feast on the dead raven in silhouette. The bird is very, very dead. <laughs> okay. Whoa, wasn't expecting that. No, me either. Yeah, well, this is, this is the, where... The, the owl is the cute animal, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we move to a different scene deep in the forest, far, far over the hills and valleys, so the camera may well actually just do a big sweeping whoosh over that direction just to show big distance. Yeah. Rosina the hag is trying to fix up something for dinner, but substituting almost everything in the recipe book with something gross because she doesn't have any of the good required ingredients. Suddenly there's a rumble from her rather large stove, and after a spectacularly fiery light show, the raven bursts out anew. It's still got the same twitchy mannerisms, but its feathers are all sweet and shiny. It's the immortal raven. The witch is startled and immediately starts re reprimanding the raven, you know, Crawford, look at this, you've completely ruined my meal! <laughs> Which was not amazing to start with. When the bird will not stop cawing, she grabs him and throws him into the foul concoction. Hmm, that might actually have saved it. The light magic show goes on again and the bird re-emerges once more from the stove and starts making the noise all over again. Oh, why does she have a food problem? It sounds like she's got a never-ending food source. Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> Just know, cough up your pet. Basically, <laughs> yeah. Well, she probably, you know, he was off doing his, his thing. She wasn't expecting him to be home and uh, yeah, so... That, that could be it. Also, like, I don't know how many people actually eat raven, so that's... <laughs> Crawford, come home, it's dinner time. <laughs> yeah. For me. <laughs> I'm getting a bit of a Kenny from South Park vibe. <laughs> I, I, I kind we, of... How are we going to kill him next? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did want to have that little bit of dark humour running through yeah. it, so having this thing, because obviously... And he's going to come back, right? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, so this this is obviously the power that she wants as well, so that, that illustrates very much she'd be jealous of the thing. And, you know, Crawford is just this stupid bird. He's probably been fried a couple of times, so he doesn't really care. Yeah. An audience of laughing children over this. Yes, <laughs> I, I hope so. That's the plan. So anyway, the bird re-emerges once more from the stove and starts making the noises all over again. Alright, alright! She grabs the raven to German dictionary and starts translating what he's saying. It takes a while and she's chewing down on her cooked raven, which is just dissolved in the acid that was whatever she was making. Suddenly a key phrase is finally decoded and she leaps to her feet. Caw, caw! She checks the book once more just to make sure and slams it shut over Crawford. <laughs> it's like, start with the cocoa part next time! She throws the heavy book with Crawford in it, who is crushed. You know, so dead bird. Again, yeah. another one. <laughs> she instantly starts packing up her house, and this is literally packing her house. The whole thing folds up like a pop-up book. So this is, again, the Disney artists showing off really, really well. Like, yeah. all the, you know, everything folds into itself like, like a children's pop-up really like yeah. just in far more detail imagine some cross between like transformers and you know and i don't want yeah. and we can cut this if it's asking this question too early yep. is, is it a candy house or at this point or is it a 
because it, uh, it folds up. But it's 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 a magic house. Okay, but not necessarily the the candy house. Yet. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, no worries. That's actually a very good point. <laughs> so I, did I, you forget about the candy house? I did. I didn't forget. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it by saying okay, yes. That's fine. That's fine. Or no, but there really needs to be a reason why yes. that would show up after. Anyway, Wait, are there lollies in this story? Or? Yes, <laughs> there will be. At least have a bowl of candy. There's on there's gingerbread in his pocket. All right, he's still he's still not eating the gingerbread man. All right, sorry. We're stopping on you. No, no, that's that's absolutely fine. And and leave all of that in too. That's this is good stuff. Anyway, so the whole thing folds up and we get another musical number and it's about how she's going to do evil stuff again and how she's really good at it and enjoys it. So this is another thing I've found missing from Disney movies of late. Frozen and Encanto and a lot of those ones, they're dealing with intergenerational trauma, not actually having a, a villain villain, yeah. if that makes sense. I mean Hans does swoop in and be the asshole in Frozen, but there's not really a gleeful cackling Ursula or Jafar or, no, like or Hades. Mother or, Gothel is maybe like, as close as we get, but even she's a bit more relatable. She's a, she's a bit like, more tame though. Again, yeah. like there's no one just in it for the thrill of it. This character is she's all hag like, so she's very much of the same vein as the witch from the Snow White transforms into the old woman. So yeah. it's very much from that mold and she's just having a absolute ball i don't know who plays her but you know there might be voice actor suggestions after <laughs> so, where am i she's a villain in the vein of gaston ursula maleficent and she's just gleeful in her job yeah that's that's that level of panache i want to bring to roz here so the house folds up and she starts journeying through the forest and that's the middle of that's the midpoint of cool. the story so yeah, we've already... Awesome, I feel like we covered... We, we maybe interrupted you a little bit, but... No, 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 that's okay. It's just ruining the the rhythm of the telling, so it doesn't matter. I just, the whole time I've been thinking, but is the house made of candy? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to find out. It'd be a very Disney thing too for the house to fold up and then like her to put it on her head because it's a hat or like take it as a suitcase or something like that while she walks That's along. a cool idea. That's yeah. in there now. Yeah. It's, it's like a paper fold-up hat that she's just sat on her head. Potential joke that it was in my head right the way through that might be going too far is having the raven eating a little bit of the meal as well which is him yes <laughs> I, I did actually think that th- that would definitely be something that would happen as yeah well. like, like even if he's just picking at it at yes. the end or something i think yes. that could be quite funny and yes in the name of him being stupid obviously the alan tudyk head tilt <laughs> yes yes he's not quite as dumb as the chicken out of what was it hey hey out of moana but he's definitely in the stupid end of things <laughs> he doesn't always come back right no, no. <laughs> Yeah, he's, I want he's, too many hits in the head. <laughs> yes, yeah, a few too many non-lethal hits, I think, has set him on his way a bit. Anyway, she packs up and journeys through the forest. We have the sun go down and then the sun come up over the same area where the house used to be and there's holes in the ground where her long drop was and there's a, a parched bit of grass where she tipped out her dinner and it's just killed everything that was in the puddle and aunt ilsa comes through the thicket of the forest guided by a young kid she's decked out with a bow and quiver as well as wooden stakes and vials of holy water basically full vampire hunter attire she gets on the scene and obviously the witch's house and the witch is gone it was here last night i swear the young girl guiding her says shakily so ilsa studies the scene looking at last night's meal that's been tipped over and how it's killed everything it's like yeah this is the this is the one the concoction is literally scorch the earth there's like a dissolved raven carcass in it and there's yeah. a few other dead ravens found in other compromising positions <laughs> it's like what's stuck in a toaster or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah stuff like that yeah or you know just like head first in, the, in a nut of a tree yeah. that yeah anyway i'm just envisioning like there was times where she was feeling sentimental so she buried him yeah. <laughs> so there'd be like 12 little <laughs> <out of that. laughs> 
Yeah, and I then didn't mean to kill you. Needed needed to make the make the front garden path symmetrical, so a gravestone here and a gravestone here. <laughs> yeah, where were we? This is the warmest trail I've ever had. She says to a guide, so she thanks her and pays her and gets following the the fresh cart tracks. She grows concerned as she follows them because she realizes that it's heading in the most direct possible route towards their house. So, oh no, <laughs> they found them. So the kids are having a, a nice relaxing morning back in their back in their hut. You know, they've got all the pillows and Klaus bursts into the home and upon feeling an overwhelming sense of relief at finding the twins, he is enraged. So he confiscates Hansel's stones and, you know, finds all the things like lengths of thread, a bottle of paint, anything he could use to leave a trail. And he stops short of taking the gingerbread, sensing that he may have overdone it, inventing his anger, so he just sheepishly gives that back and you know, grumpy but not going to be a total so the trio depart once more and they're quite hungry as they've not had any time to go hunting and have breakfast so Hansel however starts leaving small trails of gingerbread as a trail home and at this point we sense a rift has formed between the kids and their uncle and any conversation between the the group is uh, is quite clipped and curt and yeah Yep. There, you know, Klaus is not happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of understandably. So. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, as much as he sounds pretty grouchy, they did just take off in the middle yeah, of the night. Exactly. And I mean, <laughs> he's, he's charged with protecting them, so it's more his failure, but also he's like, oh, damn yeah. it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Elsa is not going to find out about this. <laughs> Klaus gets gets to a point and he says that they're going to start a new lesson. So the twins are going to go out and look for food and he's going to wait by the camp. It's not really a rational decision on his part, but he's a bit pissed off. So that's that's where that comes from. The twins begin to follow the gingerbread trail home, but instead come across a dying Crawford choking on a gingerbread crumb. So the twins are annoyed that their trail home is gone, but they help him cough up the crumb and the raven is mildly surprised by their compassion. He would just yeah normally he'd just die yeah yeah normally he'd just die so you know but nevertheless he enthusiastically leads them through the forest to a clearing with the most fantastical gingerbread house any professional artist at disney has ever painted (laughs) nice so there's your gingerbread house perfect i probably need to explain why it's a gingerbread house earlier in the script somewhere but i didn't so (laughs) yes so this is another one where we can cue another musical number this would be a similar vibe to be our guest but a big part of this is Rosina showing off and secretly getting a lot of stuff ready for her spell. She's yeah. trying to lead them down a certain path. Oh, so she meets them pretty much right away. They don't... Yeah, they, they, they meet it. Are we in first? Or? They, they're like seduced by the candy house. Yeah. And like I say, the, the music here is actually going to do a lot of explaining here. So yeah. again, throwing Lin-Manuel under the bus. But that's the vibe. We get the idea that maybe there's a magical influencing going on. The kids, they've obviously heard the story of, of the hag but there's obviously the, the lure of the magic and all that thing that might just be overriding their, their sense of smarts a little bit. Hansel is I hope I've given you the sense, he's, he's a slightly more engineering of the pair and yep. Gretel's a bit more whimsy driven that's their dynamic there. So she's running off having a great time setting up you know the kids, they're having a, a great feed on all the gingerbread and all that. But then the penny drops when they see that she's got Klaus trapped in a cell somewhere. So now it's a game of cat and mouse and they're chasing and they have to run through the house and again this would be a, a sequence I can't really write it but it'd be more action where they're trying to sneak through places they have eat through walls to get to certain other spots and climb out on the roof and they'd be getting a bit overwhelmed with all the sugar and so there'd be bits and pieces where they're dropping the ball a bit so, yeah. so this house is pretty big the house yeah. is pretty big yeah. yeah she set it up as a trap basically yes. so yeah. she's able to modify her house in different ways and well and I think that explains the gingerbread right because she wasn't yeah. using it as a trap before now she is so yes. that's an easy solution to that yes so that's that's very much the thing so maybe it turned into gingerbread when they, when they arrived at it because yeah. that's what they like so that's good Red, that's retcon yeah yes. yeah so yeah 
So long story short, the game at Cat and Mouse ends with Rosina has caught Gretel and Hansel has managed to eat his way out of wall. Gretel makes a sacrifice play to make sure that Hansel can get away. Yeah. So she's caught and Hansel is able to escape. At this point, Rosina has Gretel, but Gretel tells her that the power isn't hers. Hansel has it. He's the older twin. She's always just played along pretending that it was her that could do the magic. So Rosina decides that Gretel can stay her prisoner because either she's lying and she has the power she needs or she'll receive the power if Hansel is eliminated and I haven't been in a good hunt in years. So she cackles gleefully as she grabs an old broom and sails off into the sky. She calls Crawford and the bird now slightly more reluctantly follows after her. So Crawford's having second thoughts at yeah. this point. He's so going to Yago on them. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, Yago from not so much the first movie. The end of Jafar. Yeah, well, Yago was ride or die with Jafar for the whole first movie and then he kind of had his come-to-Jesus moment in Return of Jafar. So, <laughs> yeah. Cool. So that's the low point. Everything has gone to poo and we're just about to jump into Act 3. So I think it's all coming together, I think, in a really interesting way. Again, the thing that interests me most when I think of this story being like quite short is <laughs> how you're going to extend it. And I think having her catch one person and then the other person getting away and all of the things that you're adding in, to me feel like they fit within the story they don't feel like tacked on or anything mm. but they yeah they i think they really work at like giving a bit more depth and a bit more just general character and stuff to the mm. overall story and i think at least so far you've done a really good job with oh, that thank you absolutely it all just falls beautifully into place yes thank yeah you. i think i said it. it doesn't feel tacked on it feels it feels like part cool. of the story well this, this is really cool because honestly this is one of the reasons i really wanted tracy here because she was the one that i had to impress with this story <laughs> no, and and the fact that i'm actually impressing you with it i'm quite happy with it am i easier to impress than tracy or harder do you think well I, I think you're actually, different to impress, so, you, you know. You don't actually know my opinion on this yet. No, I don't. <laughs> that, that, is, that is true. That is true. You're, you're giving me good vibes. I better stop then. <laughs> oh. Don't want your head to get too big. No, that's okay. All right, well, well, we'll jump into Act 3 before I can think about that too far. At this point, Hansel is using every ounce of his survival skill that he's ever gained. He's coated himself in mud and moss to blend into his surroundings. He's grabbed some sharp rocks and fashioned a rudimentary spear. He's gone full Disney Rambo. So he's feeling very safe and secure when suddenly he's tackled and held at sword point by Auntie Ilsa. Hansel very quickly downloads everything that's happened, barely pausing to draw breath and hyperventilating a little bit. So Ilsa quickly formulates a plan. Rosina, meanwhile, is scouring the forest for Hansel and it has been a long time since she's gone hunting and she realises that she's forgotten how and she's not having a very good time anymore. So she's complaining loudly to a mopey Crawford that maybe she thought chasing a small boy through the forest would be a lot more fun. And she doesn't really stop to think why that sounds weird. My Cr knees are really sore. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but Crawford is actually making an effort to obscure any trail that Hansel has left behind. When the witch realises this, Crawford cops a lightning bolt. Like, you know, she can shoot lightning from her fingers now because lightning's cool. So Crawford gets zapped and it explodes, just leaving like two little feet just smoking <laughs> from the perch he was on. Roz picks up the trail and finds that it circles back to the gingerbread house. So, oh. Is this the moment that Crawford's now on the other team? Ooh, maybe. <laughs> When she returns, she finds Hansel attempting to pick the lock on Gretel's cage with a chicken bone. Crawford is attempting to help him, but neither is having much luck. Triumphant, she raises her hand, ready to cast a deathly bolt of lightning onto one of the children. Suddenly, she's surprised by Klaus and Ilsa bum-rushing her into the empty oven and locking the grate behind her. Gretel opens her door, it wasn't locked, and they regard the witch. So, 
Okay, so she's captured and, okay, now what? Great use of the term bum rush in there. I, it's not one we use enough, I think. No, no, no. It's, it's definitely, a, it's, it's definitely a, a thing that should be written down more. I, I'd like to just amend one thing. It shouldn't be a chicken bone. It should be a raven bone. That, oh, I had the exact same, <laughs> oh, I had yeah. the exact same thought. I, I, wrote, I wrote chicken bone because that, again, is a, is a callback to the old story yeah. um, where, you know, she's trying to fatten them up, but she's got bad eyesight, so he's, like, sticking a chicken bone out and, you know, that's, yeah. that's his finger. And she's like, oh, yeah, you're still thinny. All right. Whatever. Yeah. I think Ravenbone works. Ravenbone. Absolutely. Yeah, all right. Well, let's just retroactively say that was That's what that's what we all heard. Yeah, that's that's I what I said. I didn't didn't say chicken. What? Okay. So Ilsa and Klaus consider that she should be taken alive to stand trifle. <laughs> trifle. I'm hungry. Ilsa It is a candy house. <laughs> Yeah, leave that in now. Uh, Hang on. Sorry, I'm throwing back to, you know, she's making a concoction of terrible food because she hasn't got any food, yet she can make a whole house out of ginger. Oh, but it's, it's an illusion that showed up when the children did, so maybe she actually likes eating garbage. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm not going to think too much of this. She's got diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> she's the cause of diabetes. Okay, so <clears throat> Ilsa and Klaus consider she should be taken alive to stand trifle. Try it! What the <laughs> fruit? <laughs> Elsa and Klaus consider that she should be taken alive to stand trial. Cool. Nailed it. Crawford, however, has a different idea. And uh, the four of them turn and they see that the bird is choking on a jagged piece of gingerbread. Rosina sees what's going on and begs, threatens, pleas and curses the group to stop the bird from choking. No one does. Crawford expires and the inside of the stove lights up and a screaming Ros disappears in a spectacular fiery light show. The added pressure in the oven overloads it and it blows apart. So as the smoke clears and the group pick through the destroyed gingerbread house for Crawford with no success, it looks like the bird went out with his boss. The twins try desperately to revive the choked version of Crawford, but their magic doesn't seem to be working. They're back to arguing which one of them is the actual magic one. And suddenly there's a raven's <laughs> and a voice. Uncle Klaus? I didn't see this coming until just now, but now I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we were sort talking of. about villains getting there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm exactly. going, that was Did a good you one. see my face light up? Yeah. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Klaus turns to see a disheveled and very confused Franz with a twitchy raven sat on his shoulder looking very pleased with himself. Franz is brought up to speed and introduced to his brother and sister. He's surprised to meet them as he was expecting them to be babies. The fives returned to the capital is a cause for much celebration. It seems that the magic is gone so the family steps down from governance, happy that they're no longer a target for magic weirdos. And they all lived happily ever after. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> well, I really liked it. So usually this is the bit where I give my thoughts on Nick's story, but we have a guest here and I'm quite polite, so I'm going to pass it over to you, Trisha. What did you think? No pressure. Honestly, I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. Oh, uh, I just, you did that thing that Disney does where they pull a story out of really essentially next to nothing and they flesh it out into this great, magnificent story. Would you take the kids to see this as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'd, I'd be first in line. Whether your name was on it or not, I'd be like, it's <laughs> the new Disney movie. Yes, this is awesome. But I just, I really loved the story and the twists and the turns and there's definitely a few things to flesh out, but honestly... It would make a fantastic movie. I, I really quite enjoyed it. And, I, I have and, left a lot to the musicians there, I think. so. And yep. I, I, I really want a Crawford stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, sure, there are some things, uh, there are a couple of things that I needed to clarify and, and there are some things you probably add in, but overall, it's all there, right? Mm. Like, it's... It, uh, 
I could very vividly see this movie in my mind. Absolutely. Like, like as it was going on. And this 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 sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it, this was like, it was a lot better than I expected. Like, I don't, <laughs> because, because I didn't expect Hansel and Gretel to be that interesting. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, it's a story we've heard so often. And I was like, what are you going to actually bring to this to make it different? But you brought a lot to it that made it different and, and enhanced the story that exists already. I think that's very impressive. Nick did try his darndest not to tell me what he was doing for this session. Like he wanted to keep it a secret as much as possible. But he did tell me that he was doing Hansel and Gretel and I was like... Yeah, I told him too. I mean, where I'm are not- we going with this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I adore where you've gone with this. And I didn't expect Franz to come back until Neither just before I. he came back. And then I was like, oh, he's going to come back. And then it was, it was great. Really, I didn't actually cool. expect him to come back either until like I was figuring out how to kill the witch. At well, about seven o'clock. <laughs> that's that's another big thing that Disney does, though. They throw back to something earlier that probably was just a passing thing. Obviously, Franz dying was not a passing thing, but you know something that you thought was done and dusted with, and somehow they make it come back. That's the magic of it, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and undoes the killing of the kid, which overall, as a whole, makes the movie more okay. I think, like, it's a mm. it's a weird thing, right? Like, but once we know that they're okay, then we're like, oh, That's I don't it. feel so bad now. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, at the same time, at the start, you didn't necessarily say he was dead. You said he was lost. Yes. So you know, it's one of those things where it's it's far more implied because Franz is dead because the twins end up with the power and. Crawford obviously is immortal or at least he was for Mm. most of the story so that's very heavily implied that that's how that happened that France was actually sacrificed in whatever ritual that Ross was going to do so yeah I'm trying to think of things to add but overall like Mm. it's all there I don't really know what to add I really like that we'll see next week with mine Yours definitely fits that traditional story that many of the Disney animated movies are. It fits that Beauty and the Beast. It fits even things like Moana. It fits that traditional story reimagined. And I think that is a huge part of Disney animation, right? Like that's probably like at least half of their movies are that. So I think that's very cool. They're very good at taking these classic stories, but then making their version of that story. And that's ultimately down to their brand they want that they want to be able to say this is our Pinocchio this is our thing yeah so yeah for a fee mate this could be your Hansel and Gretel yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is our one at, like this is our raven that we can sell on a t-shirt at, at Disneyland and all those things do you um, think we should have merch as a, as a podcast yeah are we, are we still too new for that um, if you want to organize <laughs> can, can we put Crawford on a shirt yeah, <laughs> yeah I, that, I mean it would be fun it's I, this is well outside of my skill set, but it would be fun at some point to have some merch that had some memorable characters from our, some of our stories along the way. I, I would. I if, think some of your really art for yeah. Pray Love would definitely. <laughs> a, a Julia Roberts coffee mug with, <laughs> with there is a dark goddess might be might be an interesting option. There as might well, be so. some legal issues yeah. behind yeah. that. I think. Probably going to talk about that. Actually, I've been getting some interesting emails. Yeah. <laughs> Did she get back to you? Her lawyers did. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I, I need to talk about it. Maybe off air. Yeah, they could. we'll talk about this later. Yeah. I mean, she's still she's still in touch with us. That's still cool, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I I feel like I don't have a lot more to add unless, Trey, have you had anything else that you wanted to touch on? Look, when I find that I hear a good story, I find myself pondering it around in my head for hours and hours and hours afterwards and I can already tell I'm going to be sitting there doing this and like in the middle of the night I'm going to roll over and go to Nick that part where you did this that's so good even just now I'm thinking you know I think one of my favorite elements is that we never actually do find out which of those quids had that magic yeah oh something that is something that popped into my head like 
perfect point for a sequel, right? Like, because you've still got these kids and and abilities and all of this unexplored stuff that you could explore later on in a future film. So I think... I mean, did they really lose their magic or did they just claim they lost their magic? I mean, friends could be very quiet about it as well. Yeah. He knows the danger it puts the family in. How, How conscious was he... With Crawford and stuff like that, maybe he knows what these people are like. Oh, the sequel potential. That, that, that was, again, one of the things. Like, obviously, I have the monarchy as they're acting out of obligation, not out of, oh, we're, we're just at a higher class thing. So they're very much a functional unit. Rather I, I've than even got a way to bring back your witch, if you want. It's a, <laughs> it's a bit bleak. But, oh. uh, <laughs> but like, don't, she, don't go eat, pray, love on me, man. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, when, but when she died and then the raven died, what if they merged together? Um, and so she came back as like a half raven, half witch lady. <laughs> <laughs> like think something with two heads and one head is all constantly yes, trying yeah. to the other. Oh, I've got images of Shit's Creek and the, the lady being the raven. Never mind. I, yeah. <laughs> cool. Anywho. <laughs> yeah. A show that either of you have not watched. I haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it's very popular though, so I'm sure a lot of people it's, listening uh, know. She, she does a movie called The Raven Has Eyes and it's basically people turning into ravens, I think, and it's like a really bad like C-grade horror film. Oh, cool. <laughs> but it gets some cult following or something. But yeah, anyway, I've got this image of little lady with oh. raven. So very franchisable. I th- and mm. uh, that's something that we value, right? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Indeed. This comes to worst later down the track, like the whole Snow White and the Huntsman thing, like Huntsman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depending how self-referential we want to get, in maybe yeah. a future episode we could do a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen, that, like, there's been movies called, like, Hansel and Gretel Vampire Hunters or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm. yeah. Or is it Abraham like Lincoln? There was, there was some, there was, there was one that, it obviously wasn't that memorable, but I remember there was one maybe like 10 years ago and like a live action thing. And I just don't think any of those Hansel and Gretel stories have really landed. Mm. So I think it's prime territory to be looked at because I don't think when you've got a live action Pinocchio coming out next to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio movie that comes out like three months later, like I don't think people are doing much with Hansel and Gretel. So I think that's a it's a yeah. good choice. I understand now as well, having written this, why that property has been avoided. It yeah. does take a lot of work to justify a lot. Of, it's one of those things where you've got these tent poles of what is in the story. You've got the, the trail of breadcrumbs or the trail of stones. You've got the chicken bone, which now is a raven bone because, you know, that's better. And the witch and the gingerbread house. But that's that's pretty much it. So trying to fold all that into a story that, not just makes sense, but it would also be fun to watch and to actually have kids go and see. Yeah. Because obviously I deal with a fair bit of dark stuff. Yeah. But I think in a lot of ways it's important to have darkness in your Disney because without it, you just... I agree. I don't think it's memorable. Without the darkness, you don't have the light. Exactly. The darker the dark, the brighter the bright. And kids, not that we want to terrify kids, but kids should experience like more than one emotion. <laughs> like when they see yeah. a movie too, right? So it's mm. cool to see that. And I, I think you yeah, say... I mean, I remember Lion King devastated me. Yeah, like, you yeah know, exactly. Like, that, but that's yeah. part of growing up, right? Yeah. I, I oh, think like... It devastated him as an adult too. He was bawling his eyes out <laughs> in the cinema when yeah. we went to see it. <laughs> I have a very fond memory of my, my grandfather when I went to go see yeah. Lion King. And yeah, he, he cried when Mufasa died as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still do that too. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I think it's nice to have these touching, scary, sad, like that's the, I think that's a real plus side of these mm. Disney movies that they don't have all of the edges sanded off. We can sometimes say that with modern kids, especially kids television, sometimes that is the case. Like I think that's why something like a TV show like Bluey does so well is it doesn't just 
to talk down to kids. Like it, it treats kids like people that have opinions and think about different things. They're not just cute animals. And I think that's mm-hmm. what something like Hansel and Gretel would do too. And I think you mentioned that there wasn't necessarily a lot there and that was maybe why it hasn't been adapted but mm. you could argue that for probably a lot of the properties that disney yeah. have taken on like even something like snow white so much of what we think about as being snow white is stuff they added in right yeah. <laughs> like, like all the dwarves names hi-ho, and all hi-ho, those things it's impossible got, yeah. to divorce our our minds of snow white from disney snow white yeah. and i think this could potentially be that for hansel and gretel yeah the the other story that i thought could work like could be adapted was Rumpelstiltskin, but that gets really tricky again as well because, again, the main character, she takes advantage of this guy and she doesn't keep up her end of the bargain. It's a bit weird. There's a sympathetic nugget there for Rumpelstiltskin, which you don't need because he's trying to steal a kid. Yeah. Um, and Shrek have gone down the Rumpelstiltskin avenue. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's done enough. It's a, it, it, he's a weird villain. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's his, like, if ever, anyone ever, because we haven't had, like, like you say, we've had him in track. We haven't really had a Rumpelstiltskin story, I don't think, in modern yeah. times. I think they did a... I don't know if you guys ever saw Jim Henson's The Storyteller back in the day. Oh, who, with John Hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a much-loved series of mine as a kid. And I think they did a Rumpelstiltskin episode, potentially. But that's the only Rumpelstiltskin thing I can think of. So yeah. I think his weirdness and his creepiness would be, like, that's a... That's a feature, not a bug, right? Like, yeah. it, that's what the, the route you'd have to go with yeah. him. Because the third fairy tale I thought of was Pied Piper of Hamelin. But again, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it gets weird when you're talking about taking kids away, you know? And this was, again, the, the weird thing with Hansel and Gretel. I, I could imagine that a lot of these stories were around back in the day to help children deal with, I guess, childhood mortality. Like, yeah. it would have been a bigger yeah. deal back in the in the late middle ages and yeah but let's be honest a modern retelling of any of these stories by disney wouldn't end with the kids all disappearing or whatever yeah but just like little mermaid where in the actual story she dies in the end yes um, but gets an immortal soul because yes reasons. but disney have adapted it so that yes. that doesn't happen and she gets a happily ever after which is what you would have to figure out how to do with yes. all these other stories too a lot of fairy tales do end quite terribly mm. so you've got to that's the Disney trick is figuring out how to take this story that ends pretty badly and turn yeah. it into something amazing and happily yeah. ever Pog- after. Pogondas. But, yeah, you're totally yeah. right. And and as a story, I think it makes it more fulfilling, doesn't it? Like when we get that happily yeah. ever after mm. at the end. Also, far more franchisable if, if you don't Absolutely. kill off all your characters. <laughs> so, um, we yes. can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Hansel and Gretel 2. Yeah. Gingerbread. Hunters, I don't know. No, don't make me write a sequel for this now. I'm very tired. Hansel and Gretel open a bakery. So I think that may be a good spot for us to end because obviously we're going to have some comparisons and things mm. next week as well. Yeah. But Are you happy to stick around for another week, honey? In oh, your, in I your suppose own house? I could do that considering we're in my lounge room and you guys will come back to my lounge room. So <laughs> cool. You're very... Thank you for being so generous and having us over. <laughs> Providing a table <laughs> that actually holds all our equipment is, is very cool. I might even offer you a cup of tea in a minute if you want. Oh, well. <laughs> awesome. Well, that is very exciting. <laughs> and yeah, so I think we'll call it there. And I'm actually quite keen next week to talk about my story too yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to yours i don't even know what you're doing no so and and i and no one does so is, you, you, you've got quite the story to follow so yeah and good luck yeah i think we'll get to comparisons next week very different but also some similar themes so it'll be it'll be interesting to see yeah cool so thanks so much for joining us this week tracy and we'll be very happy to have you back again next week thanks mm-hmm. for having me it's been fun no worries but until then 
to be continued. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at TMYL2. Find our polls and website at tmyl2.wordpress.com. Our opening title is by Brett Harris. Getting Stronger Super Me was written by Theron Booth and was mixed by Paul Slater. This episode was edited by Nick Spone. Thank you.